Well, thank you, Sean, and good morning, Dover. Hey, it is great to be here. I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, being uh, with you all, meeting a lot of new people, and seeing a lot of folks that I've known for a long time as well. And uh, the song service, just incredible. I really enjoyed worshiping with you in that regard this morning. And it's so good to be back with Sean again. And Sean, I've not even had a chance to say, hey, this morning yet. And Lincoln and McKenna right down here, the two of you, I watched them as they began to grow up and so on and so forth. And so it's just exciting to be here with you today. You know, one of the things that Sean didn't mention from his ministry at Kingsway was the fact we did vacation Bible school every year, and it was a great, great success. Uh, we would have, uh, actually in the later years, we'd have over a thousand kids that would come in where we could teach them about Jesus, but we had a lot of fun doing it, and every year we had a special theme. And probably my favorite vacation Bible school was the year that we did a Gilligan's Island theme. You remember Gilligan's Island? And uh, I think we've got a picture up here that... Um, <laughs> That's my little buddy over there on the, that side. That's Gilligan right over there, and uh, I got to be the skipper, and I won't introduce everybody else up there. There's Thurston Hal and his wife up there that the Kingsway folks will certainly remember. They've both gone on to be with the Lord and whatever. But uh, another picture maybe, uh, this will show a, <laughs> a greater cast up here, including um, in the background there, some natives of the island that we uh, ran into during that. We had a, had a great time with that. You know, during Sean's time with us, it's a wonderful time. We had a great staff. I must say, though, we had one problem, and that was getting our staff to uh, go along with our dress code. As a matter of fact, let me show you what I'm, what I'm talking about. We... Um, <laughs> We used to have some real problems with Sean showing up in a dress and one thing or another like, uh, like that. And uh, a few of you may even recognize there in the center uh, Alan Hughes. And Alan's from right down the road at Rochdale and was our, our school uh, superintendent. And um, uh, then over here on the right was our music and worship guy. You can pretty well tell that very artsy sort of guy there. But... I'm disappointed the picture didn't come out better because uh, Sean's got really cute knees and you can't see them there in that, in that particular picture. Well enough nonsense. We better get down to business today. You know, I preached my very first sermon back in 1963, which means uh, I'm old for one thing, but it also means I've been preaching for 58 years. I've prepared over 3,000 sermons during that time, and I've preached at least 10,000 times, if you include evangelistic crusades and, and um, additional services, multiple services, and so on and so forth. But without a doubt, in the midst of all those sermons on a lot of different subjects and a lot of different themes, my favorite subject has always been Jesus. My very first sermon at Kingsway in June of 1974 was simply entitled, Jesus. And the last sermon I preached as I closed out my ministry there was entitled, It's Still Jesus. And it really, really is. When I was president of the North American Christian Convention in Dallas, Texas in 1996, a wonderful privilege that I had, I chose as the theme, In Christ Alone. 
And uh, when I'm invited into various different churches as, as a guest speaker, sometimes I'm assigned a topic or I'm assigned a text. But given the freedom to choose, I almost always choose to simply talk about Jesus. You know, we live in a day and age of celebrity worship today. We really do. Athletes, politicians, movie stars, entertainers, singers. And uh, if possible, we want to meet them. We want to get their autograph. We'd like to get a selfie with them. Um, But the problem is that human celebrities, almost without exception, um, their status is very temporary. It really is. As time goes by, their significance dims, as their athleticism decreases, as their beauty fades, as um, their popularity diminishes, as someone stronger, younger, more beautiful, more handsome comes along and takes their place. Let me illustrate it this way. As a kid growing up, my favorite baseball player was Stan Musial. Um, my favorite um, My favorite basketball player was named Bob Pettit. And my favorite football player was named John David Crow. Now, my guess is that at least 90% of you here this morning have at least heard of Stan Musial, right? Even though you weren't around when he was playing ball, he was such an incredible baseball player that his name continues on. And as far as Bob Pettit is concerned, my guess is that only a few of us older folks here will even remember the name, let alone remember much about him. And when it comes to John David Crow, I wonder, is there anyone here that's ever heard of John David Crow? That's one, Phil Slavens, good for you. He's, too, he's old also, that's the reason he <laughs> raised his hand back there. But John David Crow was a running back for St. Louis, and he was a, an incredible, incredible running back. And, um, uh, but that's to illustrate the fact that fame fades. My, my daughter, who's now in her 40s, when she was a teenager, new kids on the block were it, let me tell you. And Jordan Knight's poster was on her bedroom wall, and she had to go to all the concerts and, uh, and to play their music. But as huge as their celebrity status was back then, Oh, but a couple of those guys are basically gone from view. Oh, once in a while they do a reunion tour, but the Backstreet Boys came along after that and um, NSYNC, and there have been dozens of others since the days of their real fame and popularity. But there's one celebrity, (laughs) one celebrity whose glory will never fade. As a matter of fact, his fame will never decrease. Indeed, Scripture says that every knee will bow to him. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, verses 11 and 12. You see, this celebrity was born apart from the laws of nature. Um, He was raised in poverty in an obscure little village by parents that had really no name recognition at all, no status. And yet in infancy, this particular person startled a king. In boyhood, he confounded the most learned men of his day, and in adulthood, he ruled the course of nature. Yeah, this celebrity could walk on the water. This celebrity could heal broken bodies and broken hearts. He he could even raise the dead. The fact is, he never wrote a song, and yet more songs have been written about this person than any other person in all of history. He never wrote a book, and yet whole publishing houses today do nothing but publish books about him. Uh, 
His appearance on earth was so monumental that all of history divides around his coming. Yeah, you know that, B.C. and A.D. Apart from his coming, really, history doesn't have all that much meaning. It's defined by the presence of Jesus Christ. Without a doubt, Jesus Christ is the ultimate celebrity. He is simply the greatest. Read about him with me this morning from Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, turn there. And uh, we're not going to go verse by verse through this passage, but uh, no one describes Jesus better than the Apostle Paul. And uh, in Colossians 1, he just, by the Holy Spirit's power, outdoes himself in describing Jesus. Um, Why don't you stand with me out of respect for God's word as I read this morning from Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes, Christ is the invisible, excuse me, is the visible image of of the invisible God. Wow, we could just camp on that, couldn't we? He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything, think about this, everything was created by him. And for him, he existed before everything else. And he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is first in everything. Think about that. He's first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of, listen to this, by means of Christ's blood on the cross. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated, won't you please? Um, oh my, there's, there's in that passage of scripture alone a long, long sermon series that we could do. But this morning, let me just pull out two or three points that I think are very significant. First of all, that Jesus is greater than all other powers. All other powers. He is greater than any military power. (laughs) There's no army like his army. Um, For without weapons, his army conquers the world. Uh, His army has a strategy of grace and an armament of love. (laughs) He's not only greater than any military power, he's greater than any economic power. Uh, Think about this. Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson... Have you followed that this summer where each of these uh, multi-billionaires have built their own spacecraft and gone up into space just so they could turn somersaults, you know, in the zero gravity and so on and so They got enough money, you know, to, well, maybe not wipe out the national debt, but they'd go a long way toward it. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus, on the other hand, <laughs> uh, he, um, he didn't have enough money even, uh, well, he, he had to borrow a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. Think about that. Jesus, for that matter, even more importantly, had to borrow a tomb in which to be buried. Now, he didn't need it very long, so, you know, not that big a deal. But anyway, um, Jesus had no earthly wealth. Ted Turner, maybe you haven't heard about him for a while. He's 82 years old now and still owns half the state of Montana. <laughs> He really does. And then, of course, there is uh, Warren Buffett. 
Warren Buffett is 90 years old now, and he has a net worth, get this, a net worth of 101 billion, with a B, 101 billion dollars. And yet the fact of the matter is that at 82 and 90, both of those men in the relatively near future will be gone and even forgotten. Jesus is greater than any military power, greater than any economic power. He's also greater, praise God, than any political power. Now, I'm not going to get into politics this morning, but I just want to remind you the third verse of Onward Christian Soldiers puts it this way. Crowns and thrones will perish. Kingdoms rise and wane. It's always been that way, always will, as long as the Lord uh, remains faithful to his word, as he always will, and as long as Christ tarries his return. And regardless of your politics, if you're a Democrat, a Republican, an Independent, uh, the fact is, wherever you line up in that regard, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, bless their hearts, they'll both be gone before very long. And some of us wish one or the other or both. Well, never mind. I won't get into that. (laughs) But Jesus Christ is the great I am whose rule is from everlasting to everlasting. And yes, I must add, Jesus is greater than that awful final power that we know is death. Paul says that Christ is the first of all who will rise from the dead. That is to say that his resurrection guarantees our own. His victory over death makes possible our victory over death. Death is a tyrant that stalks our path, that clouds our days, that disturbs our nights, that invades our homes. But Christ's power is greater than the power of death. Now for Jesus to give us victory over death, he had first to experience death on our behalf. And I wish I could describe to you I wish I could describe to you the agony of Jesus' death upon the cross. For instance, I I brought with me today, this is is a a, a legitimate reproduction of a crucifixion nail that archaeologists found that was used by the Romans when they crucified people. Can you imagine this thing being driven through hands and feet? What a a horrible thing. I, I wish I could describe that to you. I wish I could describe to you the the blood. Um, flowing forth from your veins, uh, the, the, the heat and the sun uh, bearing, bearing down. Um, I, I wish I could make you feel all of that to in some way experience the physical anguish Jesus went through. And even if you did, you'd have to multiply it a million times, a million times to begin to understand what Jesus suffered upon the cross. And that's just from the physical side. But it was far more than that. Do you understand this? What Jesus suffered was far more than that. As Jesus suffered hell for you and for me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus experienced separation from God the Father, which is the very worst thing about hell itself. Oh, if we, if we truly understood, if we could truly understand what Jesus went through upon that cross in our place, then we would appreciate more than ever what he did for us that we might live eternally. Oh, but I got good news. The grave could not hold him. And Jesus arose on that third day triumphant over, his, over death and, 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 and the grave, exclaiming to us, because I live, you will live also. All of us have problems. 
Some of us have greater problems than others, but all of us have problems. Our society certainly has plenty of problems today, but they're not bigger than Christ. They are not bigger than Christ. Think about the fact that during his earthly ministry, during his earthly life, Jesus confronted every sort of problem. He confronted sickness and hunger, um, handicaps, loneliness, demonic opposition, the threat of the elements, uh, grief, and death itself. And yet Jesus proved himself, proved that he had power that was adequate for all human problems. And he proves it still. I don't know what you're going through today, but I know Jesus has the answer to the challenge, to the problem that you're facing. Because Jesus is greater than all of the powers. He's simply the greatest. Well, let me point out something else. Jesus is also greater than all other priorities. All other priorities. Now, now stay with me on this. I, I don't want to be misunderstood, and I, I, don't, um, I don't want you to go out of here thinking I'm saying something that I, other than I really am. But, for instance, Jesus is greater than all sectarian priorities. All sectarian priorities. The church is the body of Christ. And as such, Jesus is greater than any faction, any fraction, or any fragment thereof. That's why I believe so much in the heritage of Dover Christian Church, for instance, and the whole concept of being Christians only, with no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ, to welcome all sincere seekers after the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, and I'm speaking to myself as much as to anyone else, all of us need to place a far greater emphasis on where we agree about Jesus than where we might disagree about a lot of other things. However, the truth is that sectarianism, sectarianism is alive and well in our society today and in competition with Jesus for our priority. And yet the truth is that if God accepts only humanly perfect people, then we're all in big trouble. Isn't that right? One is not saved because he's right about everything, but because he commits everything to the right one, to Jesus Christ. Christ is greater than all sectarian priorities. Here's something else that's especially pertinent for our day and age. Christ is greater than all social and cultural and racial priorities. Oh, how our world needs to hear this. Jesus, you know, we, we think things are bad today, and they are, but they're not nearly as bad as when Jesus came to earth the first time. Let me tell you, um, <laughs> the world was horribly torn by social and cultural and racial differences. Yeah, the Romans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the proud Greeks held them all in contempt. Among the most ardent of enemies you read about in the New Testament were the Pharisees against the Sadducees, and the Galileans against the Judeans, and the Zealots against the publicans. But guess what? Jesus was powerful enough to bring them all together in unity, to bridge all those gaps, for he's greater than any of them. And nowhere is that easier to be seen than among the disciples themselves. I'm curious, are any of you watching The Chosen, the video series, The Chosen? Any of you? few of you. Uh, let me encourage the rest of you to um, seek it out. I won't even begin to tell you how to do that, but just go into your computer and and uh, put in the chosen, and you'll come up with a... It's, our daughter, actually, just... <laughs> she harassed and harangued Jan and me until we finally gave in, and we began watching that series. And it's an incredible series, it really is. 
And it demonstrates in a powerful way the deep divisions that existed among the disciples. I mean, James and John, they were the sons of a ship owner, while Peter and Andrew were merely hired laborers. Simon the Zealot, he was an armed radical revolutionary ready to take on the Romans any time, while Matthew the publican was a member of the hated Roman establishment. Nathaniel, I love the way Nathaniel's pictured in The Chosen. He was a gullible innocent, and they also picture perfectly Thomas, who was a skeptical doubter. And yet Jesus Christ, without canceling out their diversity, brought complete unity. And that's exactly what the church of Jesus Christ should be. We differ. I mean, right here among us this morning, we differ in so many different ways. We differ as to where we live, types of jobs we have, the amount of money that we make, how much education we have, uh, our ethnic heritage, black, Hispanic, Asian, some with Native American blood. I can go on and on and on. But through Christ, we are all brothers and sisters, don't you see? Those who embrace Christ as the one who unites us. We differ as to religious heritage, where we came from, musical tastes, preferences in dress and grooming and opinions on thousands of other things for that matter. But Jesus is greater than all that. Greater than all that. And he's the one who brings us together. By the way, in opinions, I have an opinion on everything. And if you agree with me, your opinion is right too. And so I just <laughs> want to point that out. But Christ is greater than all other priorities. And then just one more thing. And please don't get real excited about it being one more thing because I'm going to dwell here a little longer. But Jesus is also greater than all other persons. Sean and a few others of you here today know that uh, I love black preaching. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard a number of great black preachers and, and they just they deliver the word in a way that I wish I, I, I could. And uh, years ago, uh, Anthony Campolo, Tony Campolo, I don't know if any of you remember him or not, great speaker, and uh, he first um, told about uh, an African-American preacher named S.M. Lockridge. And uh, Tony could do S.M. Lockridge better than S.M. Lockridge could do S.M. Lockridge. But S.M. Lockridge said it so well. I, I wish I could say it like he did. I, I can't begin to do so. But I can tell you what he said. And I'm going to need your help. You, 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 you all are very friendly and smiling and all the rest, but, you know, you're pretty much like most white congregations, to be honest with you. And, 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 and so uh, I need your help here. But, but Lockridge said, my Jesus is a seven-way king. He's the a, he's a king of the Jews. That's, that's a, a national king. He's the, he's the king of Israel. That's an ethnic king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's my king. That's my king. Amen. Come on, brethren. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Now do you know my king? He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially 
powerful. He's impartially merciful. He is my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's honest. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the grandest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of historic theology. He's the central necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. That's my king. That's my king. Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you something. He's the miracle of the ages. He's the supreme good of everything that you could choose to call him. He's the only one that's able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He heals the sick. He cleanses lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He, 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 he blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek that's my king that's my king do you know him do you know him do you know him well my king is a king of knowledge he's a wellspring of wisdom he's the doorway to deliverance he's the pathway of peace he's the roadway of righteousness he's the highway of holiness he's a gateway of glory he's the master of the mighty he's the captain of the conquerors he's the head of the heroes he's the leader of the legislatures he's the overseer of the overcomers he's the governor of the governors he's the prince of princes he's the king of kings and he's lord of lords that's my king that's my my king. That's my king. His, his office, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love, it never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invisible. He's invincible. He's, he's irresistible. I'm coming to tell you the heaven of heavens can't contain him, let alone a man try to explain him. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off of your hands. You cannot live him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees, they couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault with him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Praise God, that's my king. That's my king. He always has been. He always has been and he always will be. He had no predecessor and he will have no successor. There's nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. That's my king. Well, I'm indebted to S.M. Lockridge. I'm indebted to S.M. Lockridge for describing Jesus in such a wonderful way. But the fact is, Jesus is greater than any conqueror. Greater than the pharaohs, the czars, the Caesars, the presidents. Jesus is greater than any philosopher or religious leader who ever lived. For that matter, think about the fact that Moses, Isaiah, 
Plato, Aristotle, Muhammad, Confucius, and all the others that you could add to that long list. They never made, listen to me, get this, probably never thought about it, but they never made any greater claim than to be teachers of what they perceived to be the truth. Jesus alone said, I am the truth. I am the truth. Christianity is unique in that it points men not to a philosophy, not to an ideology, not even to a theology, but to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus who said, I am, I am the truth. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I will give you rest. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus, simply the greatest. Oh, my greatest desire this morning is to help you. I know I'm not adequate to the task, but at least to help you see him a little better as he really, really is. For I know that every one of us would surely love him with all of our heart if we really knew him. His example will inspire you. His meekness will humble you. His words will guide you. His grace will capture you. His mercy will motivate you. His, his kindness will astonish you. His compassion will overwhelm you. Oh, I hope that you know him. Not know about him. Not know about him. There's a big difference. But I hope that you know him. For that's my Jesus, simply the greatest in our world today, we hear on the news all the time about the huge crime waves going on in our major cities, but I'm here to tell you, <laughs> he's the answer to crime. I'm here to tell you, he is the response to discrimination. I'm here to tell you, he is the reply to prejudice. He's a haven for the homeless, and he's the solution to sin, the only solution to sin. This coming Friday, unless uh, something happens that we hope doesn't, Jan and I will get on a plane out at Indianapolis International, and we will fly to uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's our favorite place on earth. We discovered it way back when we were pulling a travel trader and holding evangelistic crusades all across the country and coming back from Oregon or Washington, someplace in the Northwest, we came through that way and just immediately fell in love with the place. We've been back there many times uh, since. I remember one particular trip, it's when our kids were still at home. We hadn't really made any agenda for our time there, but we got up and after breakfast I said, hey, why don't we take the tram up to the top of Rendezvous Mountain? Now, Rendezvous Mountain is not one of the taller mountains in the Tetons. By the way, how many of you have ever been to the Tetons? Can I see your hands? You know, yeah, good. You know what I'm talking about then. So we took a tram up to the top of Rendezvous Mountain. It's 11,500 feet. And from there, you can look north past the Cathedral Group, which is what you usually see pictured when you think about the Tetons. And then down below there, you could see the hole, which is simply the valley that extends on up toward Yellowstone. It's a great, great view. If you're ever out there, take advantage of, of that view. And so we did. We went up there to the top of Rendezvous Mountain. And from that platform, you can just see forever, it seems like. And, uh, you know, I hate to admit this, but for a fairly intelligent guy, I've done some really stupid things in my life. And um, 
because on the spur of the moment from up there on that mountain, I suggested, you know, we're all the way up here. We came up on the tram. Why don't we just hike back down? It's all downhill anyway. I mean, what's the big deal be? And there was a sign up there, and it said that the trailhead for the Granite Canyon Trail was 11.7 miles down at the bottom of the mountain, 11.7 miles. Our car was parked a couple of miles away from the trailhead, and so it was basically a 14-mile hike, but we really hadn't made any preparation. We had no food or water with us, but we were in good health and fairly good shape in those days, and so why not? And so we started down the trail. We started down the trail, and we hadn't gone more than a mile before I realized, why not? <laughs> you see, <laughs> that day I was wearing cowboy boots. <laughs> and uh, in those cowboy boots, my feet were slipping back and forth and back and forth. And after no more than a mile, I had blisters on my feet that were rather painful thought about going back up and taking the tram down, but we descended 2,000 feet, and that was going to be a big effort to go back up. And so I thought we ought to just press on. And so we did press on, and soon my blisters had blisters. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. My feet began to bleed, and soon my socks, I don't want to gross you out, my socks were soaked with blood. It was without a doubt, and I've had some painful experiences, but it was without a doubt the most painful experience I ever had, especially since I had to keep going. You know, I mean, uh, no one's going to come up and get me. I had to keep on going. We're going down the trail, and there were other trails up there that joined the Granite Canyon Trail that we were on. And, and at one point, there were three women that had been backpacking up in the higher country, and they intersected with our trail. And uh, prior to this, I had been moaning and groaning and, you, you know, I mean, how us guys do it, you know, we want to make the best of this experience and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to die, I'm, it's awful and, and so on and so forth and I'm bed over and I've, I've got a hiking pole at least and I'm leaning on it. But these three women came down the trail and as they did, I straightened up and I walked as normally possible, put a smile on my face and as they passed by and said, hey, how are you doing? I said, I said what any red-blooded American macho male would say. I said, oh, great, isn't it a beautiful day to be out here hiking in God's creation and so on and so forth. And they went on passes down the trail, and as soon as they were out of earshot, oh, I'm going to die. It's awful. I'm hurting so bad. We, uh, we ran across those ladies uh, twice more that day. They stopped for lunch, and we passed them on the trail as they were eating their lunch. And I hiked right by again with a smile on my face, erect as if nothing was wrong. They overtook us again, passed us by, and again I did my best not to admit my pain or my foolishness. Eventually, I sent Shan, he was 16, had his driver's license. I sent Shan and Jennifer on ahead to go back and get the van, the van because that would knock two miles off the end of my agony. And a mile or two from the end of the trail, here they came back. I was thrilled because they had cold drinks with them. And they also had a first aid kit. First aid kit especially designed for dealing with foot blisters, of all things. You see, they at the trailhead had run into these three women at the end of the trail, told them what had happened when the women asked, where are your mom and dad? And, and uh, when they explained it, the women said, oh, we wish your dad would have told us. We're all registered nurses, and we have all sorts of medical supplies with us here. <laughs> because of my 
foolish machoism I'd endured mile after mile of pain that could have at least been alleviated, if not eliminated, if I'd only admitted my problem and sought out their help. Now, don't miss the lesson. Do you need a counselor? You're going through something? You need a I'm, I, I got good news. Jesus is here. Um, do you need to deliver from some addiction? Oh, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good programs out there, but what you really need is Jesus, and Jesus is here. Do you need a comforter? There is no greater comforter than the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is here inviting you to experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fact is that all of us, every last one of us, need a Savior. For we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not even one. All of us need a Savior. And Jesus is here. He's greater than all of the powers, all of the priorities, all of the personalities. And I've done my best this morning to describe you, even though it's fallen far short. But I'll tell you this much, he wants to meet your needs, whatever they are. And he knows, and you know, so don't let pride stand in the way. He knows your problems, and he can meet your needs. You don't have to go on without him any longer. Don't do what I did. Don't pretend that you don't need help. Instead, admit your need. And come to Christ today because he's simply the greatest. Will you bow with me for prayer, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to sing a song in just a moment about the strength of Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, he's stronger than any other source. He's the answer to the world's problems and difficulties. And he's the answer to what you're facing in your life right now. And especially if you've never embraced him as Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you. I don't know how you do it here at Dover, but I'm going to invite you to do it the old way, and that is to walk this aisle and give your hand to your pastor, but give your heart to Jesus this morning. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. Surely in a crowd this size, there are several of you who never done so, or even if you've made such a confession, who never followed through in baptism by immersion, which the Bible teaches, why don't you come today? And others of you that have a great need in your life, but you've been trying to do it on your own. You've not allowed Jesus to be the answer to your problem or your challenge. Why don't you today commit yourself to allowing Jesus to do for you what Jesus wants to do. And uh, even today, some of you might want to come give your hand to Sean. You might want to come and just kneel down here and make in front of this auditorium a, an altar before the Lord. But it's decision time. Heavenly Father, bless these moments. God, I pray that we might all in our minds somehow picture who Jesus is and what he's done. His sacrificial death upon the cross that we might be forgiven our sins and we might be saved eternally. Oh Lord, speak to our hearts. Convict us to the depth of our soul and help us to respond accordingly. I pray in the wonderful, strong name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. And amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing together. If there's a decision on your heart. Would you be among the first to step out and come right now?